We're going to get started with our study now, which is called How to Think Better Than Peter Pan. <clears throat> We are in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, we come to you by the Holy Spirit and through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And we thank you that you're our Father. We pray that you'd speak to us through this word, through your word. And I pray that my words would not distract from what you want people to know, but they would just help us to understand. In your name I pray. Amen. So, what makes you happy? I have a picture. Does that make you happy? Little babies crying. No. Norm says no. <laughs> Little puppies with a giant smile on his face. I think that makes me happy. What else?、Oh, does nature, anyone go hiking? Or, that one's for you, Norm. Up in the, yeah, there you go.、Uh, family, boys,、uh, those can make you happy. Your pastor, your pastor with his beard, that can make you happy, right? Right? All right. All right, we're going to do a little exercise here. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and take a moment and imagine yourself, yourself, like you're looking in the mirror, but you have a huge smile on your face you, that can't be contained. It's like a joy that can't be contained. Maybe you even give a little fist bump or a cheer, just happy. Maybe it's a quiet, deep, satisfied breath, just, yeah. Now, I'm not going to ask you what produced the happiness that you just imagined. You can open your eyes. I'm not going to ask you what you thought of to get that sensation of joy, but God knows what it was. God saw what it was. And God is jealous about what it was. In the movie Hook, Robin Williams gave an excellent portrayal of old Peter Pan. And he needed to fly, and he'd forgotten how to fly. And so the only way was to get this magic pixie dust、uh, sprinkled on him, and, and then he had to think what? Happy thoughts, right? He had to find a happy thought. And he tried and tried to find, but he kept failing, and it made for some great comedy with him jumping off of things and falling. But then he found it. It was his what? His kids, right? We're totally spoiling the movie for the one of you that has never seen this movie before. <laughs> And there are some parallels in that to what we're going to talk about today, but it's not our children that make us happy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And、uh, <laughs> you do make me happy. But not in what we're talking about with, with God and the Bible. Let's read the Bible here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 is the one verse where we've obviously slowed down to a snail's pace, but that's okay because we like to go deep in the Word of God here. And in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, about 300 years ago, there was this thing called the Westminster Catechism. 
And the Westminster Catechism uh, is a, a thing that the, the, the church in England put together. A catechism was kind of how to teach uh, the principles of the Bible, what the Bible really said, but it was kind of an organized way of looking at it. And it states in its, whole, in its main purpose that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And it links those two ideas. It doesn't say glorify God and another thing, enjoy him. It says that you're not really glorifying God unless you're enjoying him. It's easy to understand this when we look at the opposite situation. Suppose someone serves God but hates him and resents him. And he does not enjoy him. Does that glorify God? No. Does God want a bunch of bitter people as his servants? No, he's already got a giant church that I won't name that does that. It doesn't honor him. It's a joke. It's slavery. It's an institution. God commands that we serve him with joy. It's so crazy. He says he wants us to sincerely be thankful and happy for who he is and what he's done. What? How can he command me to feel happy? Well, we're wrong when we think of happiness as just a feeling because it's much more than that. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us today, okay? How to rejoice in the Lord. So he commands us to rejoice in the Lord. We're going to learn how today. We know that his commands are what? His enablements. His commands are his enablements. That's one of those that you repeat to show that you're well-taught, good Christians. His commands are his enablements. Thank you, Nathan. Strong like bull. (laughs) So, By the grace of God, we are going to do this today, and we're going to learn how to do this today and forevermore, to rejoice in the Lord. It's going to change our life. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. In the 400-year-old Heidelberg Confession, BK, I have another picture of the Heidelberg Confession, because, no, back one, oh, we're we're all messed up now. I tried. Um, It... The Heidelberg Confession did 189 questions to directly answer our our issue that we're talking about today, which is how can we live and die happy? How can we rejoice in the Lord? And it gave us three ways that we can live with this joy of the Lord. Number one, to know and believe that I am miserable and sinful. To know and believe that I am miserable and sinful. And sinful. That one on the right there is the Heidelberg Confession, like the original one. It's pretty cool. All right. So number one, know and believe that I'm miserable and sinful. That's the first way to get into how to rejoice in the Lord. Isn't that crazy? You have to start at the bottom. Okay, number two is you have to know and believe that I am redeemed from it all by Jesus. By Jesus loving me and dying for me on the cross that he has literally taken all my misery and shame upon himself. Number three, that you would be thankful for such a redemption. 
Three easy steps. Now, that's what the Heidelberg Confession teaches. Uh, they're pretty smart. They walked with the Lord. They had all these wonderful degrees. All these wonderful pastors got together to establish that. I think it's wonderful. And our verse again says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say, rejoice. Now, the number one objection that rises up in the hearts of God's precious children is this. I can't rejoice in the, in the Lord. I know and believe what he did for me, but I have something else going on. Something I can't get over right now. I'm upset. I'm not happy. You're telling me to be happy, but I'm not happy. Well, remember those three steps, but I'm going to share something with you that's going to be dangerous. Ooh, dangerous for you. Your problem is not that you need to be more selfless or that you need to give up your desire for happiness like some super pious, I just want to live my life with no thought of happiness. Your problem is that you don't seek enough happiness in the right places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Your problem is that you've only sipped of the cup of joy. Your problem is that you've only dipped your toe into the ocean of God's happiness. What did Jesus do for you? Shout it out. Okay, what else? Right, okay, keep going. This is a praise session right here. What did Jesus do for you? All right. No matter what you said, no matter what you thought, no matter how you answered that question, you were only scratching the surface. You're only one day into millions of years of college courses on this one thing. What did Jesus do for you? And when we learn about what he did for us, it brings joy or happiness into our hearts. This is the way it works. You know, some of you said, he took my punishment. He forgave us. He adopted us. That's great for us that had no families. He rescued us. He came after me while I was running away from him. Etc., etc., of love forever. Okay, okay. But how does that relate to my life today? I'm worried about stuff. I'm disappointed. I'm poor. I'm angry. I'm a failure. Spurgeon quote. Spurgeon quote. Time for a Spurgeon quote. So I, I even have it up here for you guys. Spurgeon, Spurgeon said, The cure for care, that means caring too much about your life, is joy in the Lord. No, my brother, you will not be able to keep on with your fretfulness. No, my sister, 
You will not be able to weary yourself any longer with your anxieties. If, if, if the Lord will but fill you with his joy. Then, being satisfied with your God, yes, more than satisfied, overflowing with delight in him, you will say to yourself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Boy, Spurgeon had a way with words, didn't he? He could encourage, man. When you rejoice in the Lord only, you are able to question your own soul. And you're able to command your own soul. Wait a second. You're, you're able to step back from the craziness of your life and all the disappointments and all the failures. And when you rejoice in the Lord, you're able to say, wait a second, what am I upset about? You're able to question your soul. Why are you upset? Why am I stressed out? I have hope. Jesus is my hope. He has promised love and help. And he has given love and help. And what else do I really need? I command you, my soul, to praise God, to rejoice in him, to be happy in him because he is your help. Isn't that crazy? But people don't like doing that because you know what? They like their, their soul too much to offend their own soul. They're worried that their soul is going to be like, but I like being upset, but I like being bitter. Because they're not rejoicing in God, they want their soul to rejoice in circumstances or happiness or whatever. Well, how does Jesus help us with this situation or that problem? How about like depression or, or chronic issues or, or like, what if you're missing an arm? What does Jesus do for that? What if you have major problems in your life that aren't going away? How does Jesus, what does Jesus, what does that mean to rejoice in the Lord alone? Would you guys turn with me to Romans 8.32? Romans chapter 8, verse 32. We could and probably should read the entire book of Romans right here, but I thought I'd spare you. Or at least all of chapter 8, but we don't have time. <clears throat> chapter 8, verse 32. He says, How... Oh wait, sorry. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus claims to be the full solution for all your misery and sorrow, all your pain and consequences. A real, true Savior, a real solution. Jesus says, I am the solution for it. 
Well, how can Jesus be that? I don't know. He is, though. If you come to him believing he is, he is. If you don't, then he's not for you. But guess what it's all about then? Faith. You either believe and trust that he can be your joy, or you don't and you stay in your state of sorrow and misery. My own shadow just scared me. It's like right there, I thought it was a spider. I've had some dramatic experiences with spiders while preaching. That's, not, that's happened. I had one come down from the ceiling right here, like a few months ago, and then when I was in Dominican Republic, a giant spider of the devil came across the floor to attack me while I was preaching. It was possessed, and he's like... So I get him a little jumpy with those spawn of the devil. Right, Ashley? We don't like those spiders. Okay. All right. Jesus, let's bring Peter Pan back into it, is your happy thought. He claims to be. He is the supernatural help that can fill you with joy. And your connection with him will make you more and more happy if you, if you let it grow, if you let it develop. And here's a wonderful thing is you can't be too happy. It's never a sin to be happy. What? It is a sin sometimes to be sad. To be, to be sad over the wrong thing can be... Ugh. But... but to just rejoice in the Lord is never a sin. To, to remember what Jesus did for you and be like, man, I'm so thankful for that. It is never wrong to do that. In fact, the Bible says it's safe. It guards the heart and the mind. It protects us and it can even cure us of some real baggage. Turn with me to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. What is being happy in God? What is rejoicing in the Lord? Well, it's not just being happy. It's not a fake smile. It's not foolishly ignoring life and just saying, ugh, I'm just going to be happy about everything. And I just got in a car wreck. I'm so happy. Ah. That's fake. It's not that. But it's really thinking about God, remembering what he's done, and interacting with him on those things with thankfulness. Now, I want you to, to picture this. Does anyone in a dark room, close your eyes and picture a dark room, and then picture a lone candle in that dark room. Would anyone in that situation not look at the candle? No, you are drawn to it. You can open your eyes. You can drawn to it. It's like an unstoppable desire in us to look at the only source of light in the room. And no matter what's going on in that darkness, it's like at least we have that light. One One of the coolest movies I've seen is Signs. And there's that scene where they go in the basement and the things are all around them, right? And the worst part is when all the lights go off and you just hear, and you're like, ah, 
And then the one light goes on, and what do we all do? <gasps> at least there's a light now. There may be monsters everywhere, but at least we have light. My situation has instantly got a thousand times better. In fact, I can actually kind of rejoice now. But you have aliens trying to eat you. Well, but I have light. Oh, wow. How remarkable. Light can change your perspective. Interesting. To rejoice in the Lord, this is the key sentence of this entire sermon. To rejoice in the Lord is to say, I will look at the light of the world instead of the dark. I will look at the light of the world instead of the dark. I choose to look at the light of the world, Jesus, instead of the dark. My circumstances, my situations, my pains, my failures, that's all dark. Jesus and what he's done is light. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and my soul shall be joyful in my God. For now, so he gives us this reason, this, this logical thought. He says, for, not just because I'm a weirdo, not because I'm a robot, and he says, I have to. I have a reason. He says, for, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as what? A bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So his reason, his logical thought is that he draws us to what Jesus did, clothing us with righteousness, forgiving us of all our sin, what he did. And then he says, really, it's all about relationship. What kind of relationship? A bridegroom and a bride. A bridegroom and a bride. This type of relationship, yes, it, there is dark in this world, right? We're living in a dark, dark world. Yes, your life is hard. Yes, there is wrong in this world. But God has to be our logic. But God, but God, he wrapped me up in salvation. He covers me. He makes me right. I'm not the one who is going to be judged for my sin. Jesus is going to be judged for my sin. He was judged for my sin. It's already done. I am now his bride. And I am so far from being his enemy because I'm his bride. That's light. That's how to rejoice in the Lord. He wants nothing but to provide for me and love me and protect me. I know that. I believe it. I rejoice in the truth and it makes me happy. What if a bride didn't believe that about her husband? Well, I don't think he's going to take care of me. I don't think he's going to protect me. I don't think he even really loves me. That's a, that's a failure of marriage, right? That's not how it works. Do you believe that about your heavenly groom, Jesus, that he wants to love you, 
that he wants to protect, for, protect you, provide for you? Do you believe those things? That is the problem with most of us is that we doubt that God is willing or that God is able to fully take care of us. Or that it somehow depends on us and our performance. We think he's going to say, yeah, I don't want to be married to you anymore. You're such a mess up. We really think that God wants to stay upset at us. Or he wants us to stay hurt. Or he wants us to stay broken. Or that he isn't able or doesn't care enough to step in and heal us and save us and fix us. He doesn't want his bride to be broken. He is there to wash her off today, now, always. And it's a lie that we fall into. We believe. God loves you better than any husband loves any wife. He will rescue you. He will answer you when you call. There's a perfect place for an amen. Amen. He will answer you when you call. How much does your heart yearn to come to the aid of your child when they hurt? Those of you who are parents. Your dog, Max. That, what, that, that feeling, that yearning, is the smallest taste of what the heart that God has for you, his child. He is a father that will never fail. But my parents were terrible, you say. Turn with me to Psalm 27. Let's let the Bible just put that to rest once for all. I won't have you raise hands because some of your parents are here. But how many of you had terrible parents? <laughs> Kara, don't, don't do it. Just kidding. I just kidding. I just messed it because you're sitting next to your dad. <laughs> oh, how cute. <laughs> Some of us, though, didn't have great parents. I had wonderful parents. Wonderful. They weren't perfect. They were wonderful. I was talking with my, mom, my, my wife uh, the other day about, about what's, what's going to be like when they die. And it's just a conversation I had. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'd be pretty devastated, pretty sad, because I love them a lot. And then my mom has this crazy concussion on Thursday, and I was pretty upset driving down. I was like, Lord, is this you doing this to me, you know? But look what happens in, in Psalm 27.10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. If you had bad parents, here's a verse that you can just say, be healed. It's God's will. It's God's promise that you are healed. He knows. Everyone's parents fail them to one level or another. He won't fail you. He won't. Look to the light of truth and be healed. You can rejoice in the Lord. Even if you had bad parents, you can rejoice in the Lord. You call out to the light and receive his joy. The entire relationship man has with God is centered on what he will give you for you to be happy. He has great concern about your happiness. 
He wants you to be happy. Now, he doesn't want you to worship happiness. He doesn't want you to have millions of dollars to be happy. He wants you to be happy in one thing. One, in Jesus Christ alone. And if anything else is giving you happiness, it's fake, it's false, and it will fail when it gets taken away. But what won't ever be taken away from you? Mmm. Preach it, Nathan. Preach it. He will not let you seek happiness anywhere else because he is jealous for you. He wants to be the only one you delight in. You're like, oh, what a narcissistic, self-centered, egotistical God that is. That means a God that only thinks about himself. No, 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 no. It's because he loves you. What kind of husband doesn't say, I want my wife to rejoice only in me, not in another dude? No husband wants that. No husband thinks that. No, God's given us a very clear example with marriage of how that works. Look at Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4. God will give you what you need for happiness. He will be all that you need. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. These are his words, not mine. He wants to answer the deepest needs of your heart. Love, meaning, value, security. Each one is provided for by our God through Jesus Christ. He promises it. This is a promise of God. We sang, all your promises won't let go of me. And I love it because this is exactly what it's talking about. He promises, I will be your joy if you'll let me, if you'll call to me, draw near to me, but we don't believe it. So we wallow in our sadness, we stay in our depression, we look in and not up, and I personally reject the common idea that God will just leave you to just face your depression and sadness on your own. He promises to be the solution. He is the joy. He comes to all who call. He draws near to all who draw near to him, who seek him. When somebody doubts this, they will not receive the joy that they long for. He knows whether you believe it or not. And you can't receive the joy if you don't believe he's willing to give it. So it all comes back to faith. Not faith in you, faith in God. In his love and willingness to give you the grace that you need. You are crazy, pastor. You are so old school. You don't understand the modern stresses and complexities that I'm facing. I mean, look at our election this year. Look at my kids and what we're struggling with. Look at this, that, or the other. I don't, I don't just have one thing wrong. I have a lot of things wrong. It's not just one thing. It's like, I don't know, like a multitude of anxieties. 
Man, I wish the Bible had something to say about that. Turn with me to Psalm 94, verse 19. Psalm 94, verse 19. And I wish the Bible said something about multitude of anxieties. Verse 19. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. What is the Holy Spirit's title that Jesus gives him? The Comforter. Do you think he's good at that job? Probably, since he's God and all. He is good. Why do we go anywhere else for comfort? Why do we even look for our circumstances to change? That's not where comfort comes from. No one needs to live with continual sorrow. It's not God's heart for you. He is full of comforts for your soul. No matter how many anxieties you have, he will delight you. He will make you happy no matter what problems you have. If you draw near to him and abide with him, it will grow in you like a plant producing fruit. So, how do I begin to rejoice in the Lord alone and to get this gladness? Because I'm, I'm starting to smell what you're stepping in. I'm starting to see this. I want the Lord to give me this joy. Psalm 104, verse 34. Psalm 104, verse 34. How do I begin to really rejoice in the Lord, to to grab hold of what we're talking about here? He says, verse 34, May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. There is a link between biblical meditation and joy. So, how do I begin to take hold of this? It's about time in the Word of God. Spending time in the Word. Not just reading. That's reading. Meditation speaks of a deeper level of engaging. It's it's reading and then thinking and then chewing and then digesting. It's It's pictured as eating the Word. And we pray about the words we just read. And then, and then we listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit as we sit in silence thinking about those words. This is how we spend time with the Lord. I've just recently been teaching my boys about this and how to just wait in silence, read the word, and listen for what the Lord would teach them. It's been cool. Paul, throughout the book of Philippians, has been teaching us how to think. But his most passionate thinking lesson that we've seen is the whole, in this whole book has been this one lesson to rejoice in the Lord. It's a thinking style based on what God has done for me and not what I'm going through right now. I, I got to take my thoughts captive. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Take your thoughts captive. Well, in anchor groups this week, we're going to dive into that. We're going to explore that verse. But we got to take our thoughts captive and we got to run this command to rejoice in the Lord. We got to run our thoughts kind of over that and see is this thought I'm having, does it, 
link up with this command? Does this thought rejoice in what God has done? I want to kill myself. No, those don't go together, right? Or, or is it focused on myself or another person? Or is it focused on Jesus? If it's Jesus-centered, then I can release the thought and let it bounce around in my empty brain. I can think about it. It's free. If it's self-centered or circumstance-centered, I need to keep it in prison, captured, captive. You need to be the boss of your thoughts. Well, I just can't stop thinking about... Fill in the blank. Yes, you can. Be the boss of your brain. Be the boss. Bring it into captivity to Christ. Then you go back to the Word of God and see if I can't replace that problem thought with a promise thought. I say, hey, I, I got this thought that my life sucks and I never get anything good. Let me go back to the Word and see what the Word of God has to say about my life. Oh, I've been bought with a price that's greater than anything, so my life has so much value. God placed a value on my life that's the life of His own Son. He loves me that much. Wow. I'll let that thought bounce around in this brain. I'll let that one work. Wow, that sounds really tedious. That sounds like I need to keep going back to the Lord over and over and over again. Yes. That's the point. That's what he wants. You need to keep going to him over and over and over again for your joy, for your grace, for your help. Yup. That's a humble, dependent lifestyle. That's the only way he gives us in the word of God to live. Live on him. Right? It's not a joke. It works. If anyone ever comes to you and says that, says that it doesn't work, they are wrong. It does. Jesus does keep his promises. You seek him, you will find joy. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. Look at this quote from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry is a great Puritan teacher. And he says, If good men have not a continual feast, it's their own fault. Oh, dude. A continual feast means it's just that joy, just continual. Look at what God has done for me. I'm so pumped about it. Yeah, I go through some tough stuff, but Jesus won't let me go. He will not let me go. So I want us to go back to that exercise we did at the beginning where we close our eyes and take a moment and imagine yourself with a huge smile on your face, with a joy that cannot be contained. Maybe that fist bump or a cheer. Maybe that quiet, deep, satisfied breath. And I'm not going to ask you what produces that happiness. But God sees it. God knows it, and God is jealous for it with the fire of a thousand suns. Okay, God has a continual feast provided for you. <laughs> Communion is a big part of that feast, right? 
Rejoice that his body was broken for you. Rejoice in the new life poured into you. And this joy is a joy that never dims. It's a relationship of total victory. He is begging you today to believe in him, to call out to only him. Whatever we rejoice in that is not Jesus is counterfeit, and we would say, guard your heart. Have you ever heard that term, guard your heart? That's what we tell young people. Guard your heart, young people. You don't need girls, right? Amen. Amen. We tell young girls, guard your heart. You don't need guys. Amen. Because we know the dangers of falling in love with the wrong people and the wrong things. Love is dangerous. Look real quick at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. I love this. Paul says, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds, what have we been learning in, in, in Philippians, your mind, how to think, right? That your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Throughout all of Philippians, Paul has been saying what? Jesus is all you need. Just rejoice in him. And he says here, it's the simplicity that's in Christ. And, and people who want you to think that, that your problem is somehow deeper than what Jesus can handle, they're like Satan. It's a mess. And you go to even Christian psychologists today and there's all this complex, oh, you got to have this many years of school to understand the complexities of the human mind. No, you don't. You need a savior who will lovingly hold you and pour love into you because that's what heals the mind. We would tell a young girl to only rejoice in the man that she's engaged to or will be engaged to someday. Keep yourself pure. Hold on. Don't let yourself think that others would be better for you. That others would supply what you need. He, your man, will love you. He will love you good. And I'm telling you all today that you are all that young bride. You are. You are all engaged to Christ. Don't play the harlot. Don't let your heart delight itself in other things. We do it all the time. And he still takes us back again and again. Yet we continually feel that deep sadness of, of the woman who is guilty of adultery. We like feel that. And that's where it comes from. Because inside, we're guilty of adultery. The only other option other than adultery is to rejoice in the Lord. It's spiritual fornication. This is love. This is marriage, what you have gotten into with this Jesus thing. It's, it's real relationship. 
Why do you think God gave us marriage in the first place? So that we would understand the deep love he has for us. That's why. It wasn't so he could populate the world. And it wasn't so we could argue about who does dishes. It was for his love. Now I'm going to read a song to you. I'm going to read a, a song uh, by Derek Webb. And it's, it's got a couple words that are... How do I want to say? Aggressive. Risque. Risque is a good word to say. Um, the meaning of those words are, is the intention. He uses those words on purpose so that we get struck with the, the importance of this issue. When I first heard this song, I was like, oh, really? You're going to do me like that? But really, this is us. This is the church, okay? The song is called Wedding Dress by Derek Webb. He says, if you could love me as a wife and for my wedding gift, your life, should that be all I ever need? Or is there more that I'm looking for? Should I read between the lines and look for blessings in disguise to make me handsome, rich, and wise? Is that really what you want? Because I am a whore, I do confess. But I'll put you on like a wedding dress and I'd run down the aisle. I run down the aisle. I'm a prodigal with no way home, but I put you on just like a ring of gold, and I run down the aisle to you. So could you love this bastard child, though I don't trust you to provide, with one hand in a pot of gold and with the other in your side? Because I am so easily satisfied by the call of lovers so less wild that I would take a little cash over your very flesh and blood. Yes, I am a whore, I do confess, but I put you on just like a wedding dress and I'd run down the aisle. I'd run down the aisle. I'm a prodigal with no way home but I'd put you on just like a ring of gold and I'd run down the aisle, run down the aisle to you. Because money cannot buy a husband's jealous eye when you have knowingly deceived his wife. I'm going to run to Jesus. What makes you happy? What's your happy thought? Anything other than Jesus will fail you. He alone is your husband, your savior, and your joy. Call out to him anew today. His answer will be swifter than electricity and heavier than gravity. He is calling to you now. Let go of your doubts. Let go of your hurt. You can only hug one thing at a time. Choose Jesus. Now and forevermore.
Amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you, but not nearly as much as you love us. And Lord, we are um, guilty of having put other things in front of you, guilty of so much sin, Lord, but you wash it all away. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would be renewed in our joy today. We would be renewed in knowing that our God has, has redeemed us and has bought us back from everything that we could possibly have run ourselves into. God, we are um, ashamed of how quickly we run away from you, how quickly we turn to other things to be our joy. And I want only to have your face in my eyes when I close them. I want only to have your death on the cross be my only meditation. And I thank you, God, for always watching out for us. We thank you, Lord, for the trials in our life. We thank you for how you, you change us and you teach us deep and real lessons. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is our joy. You bring it to us. You make it real. You produce the fruit of joy in our hearts. Mm. You're so good, Jesus. And the joy that wells up in my heart is so much deeper than what they cheer for at the Bronco games. Than what the men of this world get excited about. Lord, you are so much deeper. It's so much more real what you give me.